when we're in that last song of walk-in and we're getting ready to swell the music and dip the lights and run that opening video or whatever it is we're going to do, I have to say that's what has kept me doing this for some 30 years. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jeremy Dobrish, and this is The Procast, brought to you by Proscenium Events in New York City. It's a podcast about corporate events. Now, each month we take a bite-sized look at how to make these corporate events, conferences, programs, shows even more effective and impactful. This episode, we're talking with a man who's got some sound advice to share. So make some noise for audio mixer John Williams. He's going to EQ your perceptions so you hear your event with gorgeous clarity. So, if you want to know how to make your next event pitch perfect, then stand by for Q1 of the Procast. And Q1, let's go. All right. So, I am here with audio mixer extraordinaire, John Williams. And John, this is such a treat because every time I get to see you, you're behind the microphone. And now here you are in front of the microphone. And I'm so glad that you were able to join us. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. I will just kick this off by saying that I really wanted to have you particularly on because I love working with you. I find your professionalism to be top-notch And I find, obviously, your ear to be incredible, but you have a demeanor and an attitude that is so calming and even-tempered that just makes everything so easy and so delightful. I am curious, what's going on underneath all that? Are you truly that calm, or is that just what you're showing everybody? Oh, it's complete and utter chaos. I had my first boss in this side of the business, my mentor for many years, and he had two metaphors that he taught me. One was that we're like ducks and we need to be like paddling like mad beneath the surface of the water while maintaining calm and chill for what everybody else can see. And the other thing was his father was a pilot in the early days of passenger aircraft. One time early on, he said, when you key on that intercom switch to talk to your fellow crew members, you want to be like a pilot. You don't want some pilot in an airplane you're flying in going, oh my God, (laughs) words to that effect. You want to think about what you're going to say to some degree before you say it and try to maintain calm because chaos is catching and calm is catching as well. So I do my best. Well, you're a master. If you're pedaling like a duck underneath the water, you would never, ever know it. But we're here to talk about audio. And I want to start with just a dumb question, which is when we're talking about audio mixing for a corporate event, what does that even mean? What elements are we talking about? We're designing a portable sound system to implement, to adequately cover an audience. What is uh, adequate is determined by the size of the venue and the program that we're doing, and sometimes budget to some degree. Are we there strictly for speech and playback, or do we have some live entertainment? Is there a cast? Is there an orchestra? Are we doing top-name touring talent coming in, and we have to meet their rider? So we have to incorporate the needs of the event into the design and then put it in the room. If I didn't know 
much about audio, I would think, okay, I get that. If the Rolling Stones are coming in and playing on our stage, that sounds complicated. But if I've got a bunch of executives coming up on stage and a guest speaker or two, and I've got a big audience, I've got 3,000 people here, is it as simple as you just throw up a few speakers and everything's fine? What's the challenge to it? When we start to get into larger event spaces, convention halls and arenas and things like that, you have to start collaborating, working with other departments and designing based on the needs of the show and what is available in terms of things like rigging and time frame and things like that. And so give me an example or two of a time it was particularly challenging or you had to work around something or figure out a creative solution to set or lights or whatever it was. There was one job that I did, and it was solid left to right, top to bottom, video wall in an arena environment. And we had top touring acts coming in all week long. And you have to be respectful of the sight lines, a number one to the video wall, because let's be honest, visuals are everything. Not everything, I like to think, but when people walk in the room, the first thing that that they're listening to is really what they're seeing. And so you have to be cognizant of that and design around sight lines largely. That's the big one. And also we have to work with other departments in terms of lighting and other disciplines to get what we need to get the sound out to every seat in the environment can be a big challenge. And then add to that that you may have weight restrictions, which seem to have become a bigger and bigger problem over the years and expense, I might add. So it's a dance for sure. You raise a great point, which is we put so much focus on what we see and these visuals and the graphics and whatnot, we sort of take audio for granted in a way. If we couldn't hear whether that's a band or a presenter, it really wouldn't matter what we could see. If we couldn't hear the music or we couldn't hear the presentation, we'd be very upset. Yeah, and I try not to harp on this or come off as whiny (laughs) because a lot of guys in my trade, we spend a lot of hours at the bar complaining about the fact that it's it is taken for granted but i view that as a challenge largely so while i might groan about it that it is taken for granted at the same time i think in the end of the day everybody realizes how important it is so it's basic communication on one level and then you take it up to the next level and we're trying to convey emotion and intimacy uh impact with what we do it is definitely a dimension to this and an important one I think most people would agree. Absolutely. You mentioned using microphones. I'm just curious. There's so many different types of microphones. How do you determine which mic to use? Sometimes the decision is determined for you by the preference of the person presenting. And that makes it easy in a way. And why don't we just quickly list out the mics? A number one is a handheld microphone. And generally, if it's used correctly, nothing sounds better. Holding a big capsule up to your lips and speaking or singing, nothing will surpass that. But then people want to have their hands free to gesticulate, etc. So then we go on to probably the most common solution, which would be a lav microphone. This is Behind the Scenes Bethany, breaking in with a fact check. A lav or a lavalier microphone is a small mic clipped to the presenter's clothing that is plugged into a radio transmitter worn by the presenter. The term lavalier originally referred to a necklace with a pendant that was applied to the microphone in the 1930s when they first started hanging microphones around the neck. 
They've gotten a lot better over the years. They're very dependable. But you do reach a point when you can't quite get as much volume as you want. If you have somebody that is incredibly soft-spoken or you're in a loud environment, that would be a challenge to a lav microphone. And then there's the head-worn microphones. And they're great most of the time, but they do come with their own challenges. About a year ago, I had a presenter and she insisted on wearing a head-worn mic, but she also insisted on wearing her earrings, which were like one-inch hoop earrings. And they were clacking against this mic and she would not take them off, no matter how much we begged. So you got clacking audio going out over a webcast. And this is a top 20 corporation and everybody in her company was listening. But to her, it was what she needed, what she wanted to be comfortable. And that, I guess, brings to another part of the conversation is that we always shoot for 100%, but sometimes you can't get 100%. Sometimes you have to realize that for other reasons, you're making other people happy or comfortable. You're achieving their 100%. And so we have to recalibrate. And you do have to moderate your ego in this or your expectations and do your best and then move on. That must be when the duck paddles are going underneath. We internally do a lot of hand-wringing over those moments when things aren't quite going perfectly. But I'm a believer that you need to jump in and correct the problem. And uh, it's similar to any sort of crisis management. I think uh, worrying about it uh, doesn't solve the problem. I think if a microphone's not working right or whatever the problem might be, you've got to take the medicine, jump in, correct the problem, and hopefully everybody's appreciative of that and understands that we did what had to be done. So in other words, if there's a panel going on or someone's alone up on stage and their mic just isn't working, it's just there's nothing you can do, let's send someone out there with a new mic, take up you know, 30 seconds and get a new mic on them, and then everyone will be able to hear. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you're conveying a message and you're spending a lot of time and effort and money crafting this message and if it's going to hinge on a 30-second moment of correcting it versus not correcting it, let's just get over it and move on. And we live in an age where we've all been watching TV shows and we've all been to presentations and theater and concerts and we've all seen things go wrong and we realize that things do go wrong in life and it's how you deal with it and how fast you can deal with it that matters, not that it happened necessarily. So it's interesting on corporate events, you know, obviously you've got the audio and you've got the lighting. You've got a lot of technology allowing us to see what's on stage and a lot of technology allowing us to hear what's on stage. It seems like, from an audience perspective, that audio mistakes happen more frequently Is that true? Yeah, I don't think audio mistakes happen necessarily more frequently, but I think, yes, they're more noticeable when they happen. And I think that speaks to how critical audio is to communication. And our minds have a very low tolerance for flaws in it because it's either, it almost becomes a binary. It's either working or it's not. And when it's not working, It's a huge, huge distraction. And it's a great point. Before I was doing corporate events, I was doing theater. And we always had the attitude of, you never want to admit a mistake on stage. We know what's supposed to happen, but the audience doesn't know what's supposed to happen. So you just keep going, and nine times out of ten, they're not going to notice. And if a light cue is wrong, a lot of times they won't notice. But with audio, to your point, 
Yeah, you're much more likely to notice. If in a play, it was supposed to be a doorbell and it was a gunshot, that you're probably going to notice. Or if an actor is talking and his mic goes out and you can't hear him, you're going to notice. So it is, uh, that puts a different amount of pressure on you. It does. Amongst the folks that I've worked with over the years that are audio technicians, highly self-critical, and really don't care to accept bad audio, flaws, things like that. We work very hard to avoid that in the first place. And that's a part of the thing is when we talk about collaboration and we talk about having to play well in this big sandbox that we work in, and it's knowing when are you going to stand up and say, hey, this is going to be a problem. And even sometimes when you do that, you don't get what you feel you need because right. that's just life, right? If we were in the touring, like rock and roll touring, you walk in and you see a big, huge stack of speakers left and right. And when you're sitting in the upper bowl, it may well be into the video screen. That is largely unacceptable in what we do. That's just one example. But I think what you're saying ties into a lot of what we were talking about before, that we do take it for granted a little bit. And when the audio mixer is suggesting that if such and such takes place, it's going to be a problem. Some people might be tempted to say, it's going to be fine. <laughs> and they're not thinking about the fact that if you can't see the video screen, or if you can't hear the presenter, you're really going to be quite unhappy. <laughs> Those things are bad. Uh, and that is a big part of the pressure is because it is a team effort. And we're all collectively working to make you the creative directors and you the producers happy. And ultimately, it goes up to the folks who have contracted us all and paying the bills. And nobody wants to walk away with that feeling of disappointment in their gut. It just stinks. <laughs> and we do everything we can possibly do to avoid that. It's easy, and we spend a lot of time dwelling on what can go wrong or what does go wrong. And certainly things do go wrong. But I would say in the 30 years I've been in the business, the success rate is just improved astronomically. Equipment is more dependable. We've all learned collectively. Everybody is just a top-notch in their trade most of the time in the events I'm working on. And so we have a lot to be proud of. I didn't know that. That's good to hear that things really are improving and it's getting easier. I'm curious to know, you're talking about the satisfaction of getting it right and that when things go well, that feels really good. What I'm curious about is those jobs you've had where you get really excited. Because I imagine a lot of the work you do is very similar. But there must be those moments where you go, oh, this is a challenge, or I haven't done this before, or this is going to be difficult, or this is going to be fun, or this is going to sound great, or what a great idea, whatever it might be. Can you think of an example of things that have come your way that you really were excited about and got a lot of satisfaction from? When we're in that last song of walk-in, and we're getting ready to swell the music and dip the lights and run that opening video or whatever it is we're going to do. I have to say that's what has kept me doing this for some 30 years. It's great, and there's energy in the room, and that's why I keep doing this. So that's generally, I have to say, there 100% of the time. It just feels amazing. And it feels great that I'm in control of what I control, which is even if it's just swelling the volume on that last song or coming in right with that opening video or the tension that's created by a little silence in the room before we run that video. 
I feel like there's a collective energy and we all can feel it. And that's amazing. I think that feeling of being able to, with the push of a button or the slide of a fader, to be able to control the energy in a room of that many people is exciting. And the difference between getting it right and getting it wrong is millimeters. True. It's, you know, milliseconds. And when you get it just right, when everybody calls the sequence just perfectly, when you feel the audience go through exactly what you were hoping they would go through, it's magic. There's nothing else like that. I love going in for a week with people that maybe I haven't seen in a few months and creating this event, creating this energy, working with a client, and hopefully we'll have a few artistic moments and interesting moments. We'll convey the message, and then we're done. We've done it once, and then we move on to the next challenge. In terms of things that I'd like to do more of, maybe, or try again, I love a live cast, whether it's one actor on stage or cast, and then add to that some live instrumentation. That's a really fun energy and a level of creativity that I'd like to have the opportunity to do a little bit more often. We're going to do it, John. Okay. You and me, we're going to get in a room, we're going to get some musicians. It's going to be great. Fantastic. (laughs) I can't wait. In terms of audio, are there things that you think live events could be doing to use audio better? I'd love to consider using audio as a standalone in terms of audio montages or spoken word, and maybe even possibly using the darkness to help focus and convey the message. I feel that the spoken word, minus any visual stimulation, can be very powerful. I love that idea. Do you think it would feel like a mistake? How do you let the audience know that like you're doing that on purpose? I think it could add if it felt like a mistake, if it was that sudden and it would be dramatic. Or it could be there could be a lead into it where we say, Hey, we want you guys to let's say a far I think I've done this before with a pharmaceutical meeting and we drop the lights and we listen to the in in the words of the patient and what their experience was with their challenge. You can feel your heartbeat and you can feel the energy in the room when you do something like that. Yeah, that's great. I think we're always looking for ways to capture the audience's attention. And so much of the time you're thinking about the things you can add. And sometimes it's better to subtract. What can we take away to really get people to focus on what it is that really is the message here? Absolutely. I love that. That's That's a great tip. So I'd love to move on to our lightning round. So these are three questions that we ask at the end of every episode. So the first one is, who's your biggest get? And what I mean by that is, is there anyone who you would just love to see? If you found out you were working on an event and this person was speaking, you'd be really excited. There's so many, but I would say Sarah Bareilles. Huge fan of hers, and I've seen her live. I saw her show, and I saw a concert that she did at Madison Square Garden online. I think she'd be fantastic, especially if somehow or another worked into an event or something like that. But there's one. All right, let's do it. Let's get her. Sarah, (laughs) we'll make some phone calls. Second question is, is there anything you wish presenters did more of, or I suppose it could be less of? What mistakes are presenters making? Speak up. You just, you need to speak up because if you don't speak up, you don't come across with as much power. You don't appear to be as committed to your message. But on a technical level, I then have to start raising that microphone volume up to compensate. 
And then we're starting to accentuate sibilance, and you're starting to get into the realm where we could even get into ringing in the room if, if I've had to make a few compromises along the way. The assumption is everybody in that audience is interested in you, likes you, and wants to hear what you have to say. This is Behind the Scenes Bethany, breaking in with a fact check. Sibilance is a noise that can occur when the S sound is smeared, exaggerated, or distorted. Cranking up the volume can amplify this impact, making it even more pronounced. So what would you say to a speaker? If someone is presenting and they've never presented in front of a crowd like this before, and so they don't know what a microphone is going to do for them, part of them feels like, I'm going to have to shout to reach the back of the auditorium. And then part of them feels like, oh, I have a microphone on. I, don't, I barely have to talk at all. The microphone will help me out. What would you tell them to do? I say, you get us to the front row with the volume of your natural voice and we'll take it from there and everything will be wonderful. If you can speak loud enough from downstage center and the person in the front row can hear you loud and clear, we're golden. So that's my go-to. I like that. That's great. That's very clear yeah, for them. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And the same thing, of course, even more challenging at times are panel discussions because you're surrounded by a group of peers, you're next to each other, so you don't really need to speak up. Nobody really speaks up when they're two or three feet away from another person. It's not natural. But as a sound engineer, I still need you to do that. So that's a tough sell sometimes, but necessary. That's great advice. All right, last question. What is something, it could be a book, a movie, a song, whatever you like, that was a big influence on you, particularly if it was a big influence on your career, but it doesn't have to be? I'm going to have to buy a lot of drinks at the bar over this one because there's a lot of ongoing mockery over sound engineers that like anything to do with Steely Dan, but I'm going to say it anyway. Steely Dan Asia was one of the first albums I ever bought, and it just influenced me immediately and forever. It's, cur- it's sound correctly done. Everything makes sense. And it's just beautiful to me. Why do you get mocked for that? A lot of us have, over time, used Steely Dan to sound check the room, to tune the system. And and since everybody was using Steely Dan, it became subject to mockery. Oh, this guy's using Steely Dan again. It can't possibly be that Steely Dan is the only band to use to tune a room. So then there was some joke that came out in the past few years that what is the sound engineer for Steely Dan used to tune his room? (laughs) And I think he may have replied Steely Of course. Well, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. I always love it when you're in a room. I always feel, like I said, very calm. I know I'm in great hands. You've got such a terrific mind for what you do and you make the process so easy. Thank you. And I really do look forward to being in a ballroom or a convention hall with you again soon. Me too. It was an honor to be here. Thanks for asking me. Well, that was ear-opening, getting to talk with John about audio. For me, there were tons of takeaways, but these are the four tops. Number four, audio mistakes don't happen more frequently. They're just more noticeable. Number three, if there's a problem with an onstage mic that can't be corrected, the best thing is to send someone out with a new mic and move on. Which kind of brings us to number two. It's important not to take good audio for granted. After all, if you can't hear the speaker or the musician, what's the point? And number one, tell your presenters to speak loudly enough to be heard clearly from the center of the first row. The mic can do the work from there. 
But look, I could talk about this stuff all day. And if you want to talk to us about audio or anything about live events, check out our show notes for more info. There's lots of fun stuff in there. Or just go to proscenium.com and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Because at Proscenium, we help presenters do their best in front of their most important audiences. As we like to say, we help brands perform. And I have a sneaking suspicion we can help your brand perform. If you want to get in touch with John, you'll find his contact in the show notes. If you like the Procast, you can listen to it at proscenium.com or get it anywhere you get your other podcasts. Now, today's show was hosted by me, Jeremy Dobrish. It was produced by Bethany Potter with original music by Maestro Mike Mancini. And hey, you know how at the end of podcasts, they ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a good rating? Well, of course, we'd love you to do that so more people hear about the show and so we can hear your thoughts. But look, if you learned a few tips and you want to keep this one just between us, that's cool too. So until next time, stand by to fade the Procast out. And Procast out. Let's go.